Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, I'm Rishi Desai. My guest today, Jeffrey Roche, is one of only two repeat guests we've had on Raise Line in more than 400 interviews because he has such a broad range of knowledge to tap. Jeffrey is an experienced executive, strategist, connector, and collaborator in healthcare and education with special interests in health equity, transformation, and leadership. He's also an established expert on the future of work and education, who presents regularly on healthcare workforce topics at national conferences and events. Jeffrey currently serves as the Director of Workforce Development in North America for Siemens Healthineers. And on top of all that, he's a member of the Forbes Business Council and hosts two podcasts, one is Ed Up Health Up, and the other is Holistic Leadership, the Future of Education and Healthcare. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Rishi. Thank you for having me. So let's get started with learning a little bit about some of the underlying motives you have for your professional work. I noticed that even though you have so many titles and attributes that you could feature, you often lead with, I'm the son of a nurse. Why is that? Yeah. Well, I always tell every, you know, everybody that, you know, certainly my mom has, you know, been a pillar in everything that my entire life has been about. But obviously when I was young, in fact, when I was a preschooler, my mother was finishing her nursing program. And I have fond memories of, of my mom bringing my brother and I into her, her nursing school. She would drop us off at the, at the college daycare while she would go in to do her training. And what I learned in that experience, and when I look back today, in fact, I, I have a video, obviously on VHS of when my mom graduated, I was there and my grandmother took us because it was a proud moment for our family. She was the first in our family to go to community college. I'm the first to actually go to college for a year that there was so much that she worked to accomplish that. First of all, she was an adult student. Second of all, she had two young children. Third of all, she was a single parent at the time. And fourth of all, she did it with a passion for helping people. And so when I look at all of that, to me, it's a, it's a no-brainer, A, to support nursing, put it out there that you don't have to just be a nurse to support nursing. And that importantly, in leadership in healthcare, we need to do all we can to support nursing because we're really at a challenging time in our history. And you have, you have young kids now. So as a parent, I, I bet you can kind of definitely appreciate what she was doing as a student and also as a parent, you know, having, having now been on the other side of parenting. Absolutely. 100%. So I'm curious about your your role, your new role. Can you give me a little bit of an overview of Siemens Health and Years and, and what that concept is, is about? Yeah. So, you know, really excited to be a part of the Siemens Health and Years team. So Siemens Health and Years has historically had an education and workforce solutions team under the leadership of, of Nancy Wozniak and Blake Seward, who Nancy is our North America vice president. Blake is our head of growth and innovation and was fortunate to have the opportunity to join the team as the inaugural director workforce development. And, you know, obviously the work that I will do at Siemens is, is really as you would expect. I mean, obviously Siemens Health and Ears does a lot of work across the country with healthcare systems around all the different medical technologies. But when we look at the workforce, we still have significant needs. And so how can we partner within the ecosystem to really bring together, as I would call eds and meds, to help solve what is, what is clearly a significant issue. And obviously I have had the opportunity to be at a healthcare system where I also led workforce development and, and was in a position to do a lot of the academic partnerships, but I have a keen understanding of how important that ecosystem is. And so really very much focused on collaboration and partnerships to try and help solve what we know is some of our most challenging workforce issues of today. 
and tomorrow. And, and today and tomorrow are kind of an interesting time because of AI and people talk about workforce in the context, workforce development in the context of AI. Do you have any thoughts or, or suggestions on, on folks or for folks that may be kind of wondering if, if and how AI will change that, that calculus like today versus maybe 10 years ago? Yeah. So, I mean, let me say that, you know, let me answer this as Jeffrey, I can't give a, an official Siemens policy on it. Right. So, you know, I think, look, AI has had a huge role in a lot of our medical technology and what we've actually had within healthcare for, for quite some time. It's further emerging, absolutely. But in terms of devices, there's certainly been a lot of different AI-related technologies for quite some time. I think, you know, obviously we have to think about, particularly in workforce, in that specific area, how we can further address what we know are challenging situations. And so, you know, we know that scheduling has definitely been a challenge within healthcare for a long time. We know that there's other, you know, data sets and, and things that could be potentially automated that could have a significant benefit to the overall healthcare operation. I think what I want to always encourage us to think about, though, is as we evolve new technologies, and I think you and I have even had this discussion in the past, we've got to think about health equity. Whatever we do, whether it's AI or any new technology, if we don't think about how to further eliminate disparities, one, two, how do we better make the workflow? Because we know we're dealing with a workforce that's telling us we're click, 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 click every time. That's what they do. In fact, I had a doctor's appointment this morning and my doctor said, look how many times I'm clicking on this medical record. That can't be the case. We've got to make it better. Because ultimately, if we make it better for them, we make it better for the patient because they can spend more time with us as the patient. So. I'm encouraged by some of those things, but we've got to make sure we keep all that in mind. Given your experience, you know, use the phrase meds and eds, like given your experience in healthcare and education, what do you think is particularly effective in training today's clinicians? Yeah. So we have got to continue to bring education and medicine together. So when I look at the full spectrum of allied health to nursing to medical, you know, whether it's MD, DO, you know, respiratory therapy, et cetera, we've got to continue to really bring healthcare and education together. The reason I always say that is we've got to make sure that what we're teaching our future clinicians and current clinicians that are upskilling, et cetera, is exactly what's needed and required. We've done this too often in medicine and nursing and in healthcare, where, where we're looking back and saying, I wish we did this, or I wish we focused on this more. We've got to ensure that we're preparing with for the future. And so for me, particularly, I say to every university, as well as every healthcare system, if you don't currently have a learning collaborative where you're intentionally working with an academic institution to look at your needs of today and your needs of tomorrow, intentionally, proactively, strategically, and tactically, then, then you're, you're behind because we've got to really bring it together. And if you're an academic institution and you're still you know, just thinking the faculty have all the answers, we've got to also be honest about that as well. They are also experts, but we've got to bring in industry as, into it as well. And so for me, it's really that bridge. How do we bring the two together in a really dynamic way that uses the power of technology too, that uses the power of what the two institutions bring? Because when we do that, we see the beauty of partnership. Now, I know you're working more and more with K through 12 education systems to develop interest in health careers. And you just talked about equity a moment ago. Tell me more about that and like what sparked your interest in K through 12? Well, when I look at my entire time, whether it's been in healthcare or education, which is now over 15 years, what I can tell, and, and we all see this right from a data perspective, we're really heading to a cliff 
when it comes to those that are expressing interest in healthcare or those that work in it and remain in it. We know that the gray tsunami is gonna hit us very soon and we're gonna have significant retirement. And yet we also know that other industries have done a much better job of attracting the youth into the careers that they can serve. And so healthcare has to also do that. And part of that, it, you know, part of that is how do you generate interest? For so long, if you ask youth today, if you say you want to work in healthcare, they're going to tell you either want to be a nurse or I want to be a doctor. We need that too. But we also need people that work in radiology and imaging. And we need people who work in the lab. And we need people who, you know, serve in non-clinical roles and clinical roles, respiratory therapy, physical therapy, you name it. And so we've got to really do dynamic partnerships within the school systems to really educate. And when I look back at my hospital time, again, a community hospital, very vested in the community that we serve, we were doing so much of that. We were taking doctors out. We were bringing kids in, students in to see surgeries when it was applicable and appropriate and approved. We were bringing students in to do discovery. We were partnering with Boy Scouts on medical explorers and those types of programs. Those are occurring, but we've got to do more because we're at a time where we've got to really generate sincere interest. And we have to show them what the possibilities are. And I often say that healthcare is a sector where if you would say to somebody, what's my career ladder? It's not always clear. And so we've got to visually and educationally help an individual understand this is what your career ladder could be. And whether that's clinical or non-clinical, or you go clinical and then come into non-clinical or vice versa, we still got to talk about it. And so I'm encouraged by the idea of using technology, a lot of really exciting things to think about in gamification, VR, augmented reality to really help what we know our youth are very video game focused, video game centered. We've got to think about bringing healthcare into that so that they can understand that healthcare is so technology driven too. I mean, you have machines that provide care and help the diagnosis of care that are powered by the same type of systems that a video game are powered by. Yet think about students. They don't know that. So we've got to generate interest among STEM-based careers with them and for them. And it seems like a perfect way to also target the equity issue, right? Like grabbing folks from communities that may never have any personal connection with the healthcare industry. Have you seen that happen? Have you seen those kinds of partnerships between K-12 improve equity issues and, and get certain folks more excited about being in healthcare? Absolutely. I, I have. And I think, you know, there's some great models that organizations have done, particularly, you know, with, with different type of community-based organizations, again, to bring them and give them exposure, whether it's been, you know, for example, in my, in my hospital days, we were partnering with all different types of schools, whether it was a public or a cyber or a charter, giving them, again, access to that type of stuff. In fact, one of the most successful efforts I was part of, even back in my hospital time, was, was with a surgeon who happened to be our cardiothoracic surgeon, who had such a passion because he was, you know, the only cardiothoracic surgeon for, for quite a amount of miles in the state of Pennsylvania at that time that was Black. And he often said, we've got to bring more people into this specialty that can also relate to the patients. Because imagine me talking to a patient that's also Black and talking about how they're disproportionately impacted by certain elements of, of heart disease as compared to another person. And so we did a lot of work, particularly with the NAACP, particularly within the schools, to bring youth in, give them the opportunity. And what's great about it is that some of those youth have now gone on to medical doctor school. And so it's great to see that type of stuff. And I think, again, this is where in healthcare, we have to remember that community benefit type programs really matter these programs matter. And if education and healthcare can come together, 
we can really be on a quest to help solve this challenge. Talk to me a little bit about certificate programs and how they play a role in workforce development as well. And, and if there's any overlap between K through 12 and certificate programs. And I ask because when I was in, I think it was 11th grade, I actually myself went and got a certificate in pharmacy technician in the pharmacy tech program. So it was, it was huge. It was very eye-opening. But I imagine that there might be more and more kind of movements towards doing that and allowing younger folks to have access through these through these training programs. 100%. And in fact, you know, we know that within this ecosystem, there are definitely, you know, providers that are working in the online learning space to ensure that even at, you know, while you're still in school, whether you align it with a, a school curriculum or the student does it in addition to, they can have the opportunity to study, train, and prepare to sit for that national certification when they turn 18. It's a great model. We've got to really be thinking differently. And, you know, in the situation where we know many systems, healthcare systems can't employ them until they're 18, you know, can you bring them on in some type of other role, whether it's an apprenticeship or a pre-apprenticeship? We've got to be thinking very differently because I look at my own career, you know, again, my mother's a nurse, so I was in and around healthcare all the time. I didn't think that's what I would end up doing from an administrative capacity, but I did. But again, I had that exposure. I saw it. And then I did an internship when I was a senior in college, and that helped me understand the opportunity. We've got to get people exposed. And I think whatever we can do in, in pre-apprenticeships, apprenticeships, certifications, look, to your point on certifications, for some people, that's a huge equity play. And, you know, particularly, I would shout out to the workforce boards across this country that, you know, they do phenomenal work in helping individuals ascertain education, particularly in certification programs, because they can help them, you know, get to a closer perspective of a livable income. And, you know, if you're coming from in one industry to the next, it could be your entrance into healthcare. And so we've got to think about, think about it like a web and really look at all those different touch points within that web to help individuals find their opportunity in healthcare. And certifications are a great way. They're also a great way to upskill. I'm encouraged by, you know, seeing across the country, different healthcare systems that are doing phenomenal. Advent Health is an example that has done a lot of work to upskill their existing employees. And, and you know, their, their chief human resource officer, Alicia Acevedo, just gets it. You've got to have, you know, strategies to bring people into the workforce, and you've got to have strategies to support them when they're also still in the workforce. And I think that's the beauty of, of partnership. What is, your, what is your sense on how this plays into our overall progress or lack thereof to improving health, health equity? Do you feel like we are actually doing a better job here in the US? Do you feel like things are getting worse? And, and then in general, like what do you see as some kind of key barriers to doing even better? So let me just say, you know, again, answering this as, as Jeffrey and not in, my, not in my official role at Siemens, right? You know, we, in my perspective, we are making really important strides. And I do strongly believe that particularly at the federal level, the last two years, we've seen some really encouraging action taken, particularly at the Health and Human Services. And I'm not surprised because I had the fortune of working with Dr. Rachel Levine when she was our Secretary of Health in Pennsylvania, and she's continuing to do amazing transformative work as it relates to the issue of health equity at the federal government. And we've got to move move the needle. And I think Dr. Levine and others are doing that. But we also know that it takes states too. And so we've seen really good work in states like North Carolina. You know, obviously we're where our CDC, you know, commissioner now, you know, used to be serving. And so we've seen some really great work, but we've got to do more. And, you know, I wanna I wanna call out, I mean, obviously 
I was part of the, of the work with the Morehouse School of Medicine, obviously during COVID when the National Health Equity Task Force was formed out of the CDC at the time. And, and obviously Daniel Dawes and, and his team there, now, now they're actually at Meharry Medical College doing also amazing work, did a phenomenal job of really further raising attention to this. And that created the Health Equity Tracker, which obviously was a Google supported project and people can still access it today. It's a great data infrastructure tool that helps understand equity literally down to the zip code, equity down to the you know, locality, et cetera. I'm also encouraged that more academic institutions are embedding it in curriculum. That's a positive. But I will say, if, you, if someone asked me to score it where we are today, I would still say we're an average. We, we still have to move to and, and really move further to better understand it from a public health standpoint, really ensure we're doing everything we can in the healthcare ecosystem to address it and evolve further with it. And, and in education as well. We've got to make sure it's a cornerstone. Now you've, you've got a podcast on the topic, you know, so let's, let's jump into the topic of leadership. You know, you're a proponent of empathetic leadership. You describe yourself as a heart leader. What does that mean to you, that phrase heart leader? And then who are some leaders that you've come across, maybe had as mentors in your own life that have shaped how you think about leadership? Yeah, so to me, you know, the term heart leader really speaks to this element of, of that we're going to lead with human-centered actions in mind. We're going to lead with the I desire to intentionally connect with another person. And that through that connection, we're going to walk alongside them and help them achieve what may be their dreams or what may be just achieving that work product that day. And I, I believe very strongly that we need leaders who truly connect with the teams that they have the privilege to lead. And we need leaders that in every facet of the organization are always thinking about people. And so in healthcare, you know, we've often always said, we've got to bring it back to the patient. Yes, we do. But we also have to bring it back to our caregivers and the team that helps us deliver that care to the patients. And I often feel that in healthcare, we've made decisions too much. So oftentimes that we've forgotten about our people. And that's why we're dealing with issues like burnout and, and you know, people leaving the healthcare workforce in, in droves. So from my perspective, we've got to get back to those basics. We're all human beings. We all have a, a desire to connect at some level. And we've got to really think intentionally around how we do that. I think to your point, though, when I look back in my career, you know, the, the person that always comes to mind for me when I look at really this idea of heart leadership, it was my first CEO at my hospital system. You know, she was a nurse, somebody that served in healthcare for over 40 years in urban suburban and rural healthcare systems from New York City to, to parts of New Jersey and then ultimately in the Poconos in, in Pennsylvania and never forgot her humble beginnings and also never forgot that she was first and foremost a nurse. And why that was powerful is that I saw a CEO lead with people always in mind. I saw a CEO who made decisions with her team and I had the privilege to be mentored by her for over five years that always thought about how would this benefit our patients and the team that supported our patients. And for me, it was always powerful because I saw a leader who just truly cared about people. And I used to always jokingly call her the Mother Teresa of healthcare. And she would say, don't call me Mother Teresa because that holds a different level. And you know, I, don't, I may have to spend a little bit more time in confession if that was the case. But what I saw her do, particularly in her tenure as our CEO, was fairly miraculous because she took a system that had very, very little community perception and turned that around. She took a system that had pretty poor employee engagement 
and she turned it around, not single-handedly, but she would call herself chief cheerleader. And she would say, my job is to always be visible and clear with my colleagues and my patients. And so, you know, she implemented rounding in a very different way than any other CEO that I've ever had the privilege to observe or work with in healthcare, where a non-clinical person rounded with a clinical person. And she would call it fresh eyes. And what we would see was powerful because the clinical person would think always about the clinical things, but the non-clinical would think about different environment and care issues, the floor, the walls, the ceilings, all different types of things. So that's the person I would definitely cite. Do you feel like some of that is is something that we could teach K through 12 students, you know, in terms of like how to be a heart leader? Have you seen programs that do that, as well as kind of introducing them to the the nuts and bolts of science and technology careers, the the leadership piece as well? You know, it's, it's really interesting, right? I mean, I think there's definitely elements that are certainly covered in a K through 12, but I do, I do think I haven't seen, you know, honestly, right off the top of my head, any specific programs, particularly that have been rolled out in the K through 12 system that also would come into the higher ed system as credit for prior learning. Because, you know, I'm not a fan of let's just, you know, let's just give them a dabble, but not actually reward them. We've got to also bring you know, credit for prior learning into these types of models too, because ultimately if we can fast pace and get them to accelerate their college, you know, time, it'll benefit the workforce too. But yeah, there's nothing specific that comes to mind that I can think of right now. I'm definitely encouraged, particularly by the fact that, you know, more ed tech companies and others are bringing it in. I mean, I know, you know, you all have a, have a big emphasis on, on the role of leaders in the work that you do. I'm encouraged that I'm seeing that more and more because I think, We've, we've oftentimes in healthcare segmented out. If you're a clinical leader, you need to know this. If you're you know, a non-clinical leader, you know, need to know this. Yes, there's definitely nuances, but ultimately we've got to have a core foundation that everyone is educated and continually trained on. So we have obviously a lot of early career health professionals in our audience, a lot of students. What's your advice to them about meeting the challenges of this moment and approaching their career in healthcare? I would definitely encourage them to, to make sure and find out that they clearly know their why. Why did you choose healthcare? Because if you know what your why is, whether you're clinical or non-clinical, healthcare is truly, in my opinion, the best industry you could ever be in to serve. When you look at not just the lives that are impacted and changed and saved, when you look at the opportunity and the awesome you know, situation that's that you can be in that truly is transformational. It's more powerful if you know your why. And I'll tell you, I had a, a leader executive who once said to me, you can leave healthcare, but you will always come back. And when I look back, he's right, because there was a time when I left it and then I came back. And so, you know, that I think that element is really, really important. The second thing is continue to invest in your education continue to invest in your learning and development. I can't stress enough about how important it is that we all have a desire to continuously learn. In my opinion, in healthcare today, one of the challenges that we've had is that we, we have tended to focus a lot of our investment in continuous learning at, at the leadership level and the management level and haven't done enough to invest really at all levels. And so I really wanna encourage, particularly those who are, who are early in their career, who will be the future leaders to always have that commitment because learning is transformational. And I think if we can be in a position where we really embed that in all facets of the organization, we can truly 
see change in a very positive manner happen. And then the final point I would say is, is follow your dreams. Many people in healthcare will, will face some challenging situations and may be told, mm, that's not for you. Don't let anyone define who you are. Choose your path and make sure you have mentors and or a personal board of advisors that can help you get there. Yes, they should also hold you accountable. Yes, they should challenge you. But if you have that personal board of advisors and mentors, I truly think there's so much that can happen. And that would be you know, what I would share because for me, all those things have made a huge difference in my life. And when I look at other people that have also had that, it's been a huge benefit. Yeah, companies have a board and that idea of a personal board of advisors is a really powerful idea. I really thank you for sharing that and for sharing your story. Very inspiring. I appreciate it. Appreciate having you on the, on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm Rishi Desai. Thanks for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to raise the line and strengthen the healthcare system. We're all in this together. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.